Hi, I'm Alison Sandy. Hi, I'm Brian Seymour. And hi, I'm Sally Layden. We're here for the second edition of Conversations on the Lady Vanishes podcast. There is so much that has happened in the past week for us to discuss today. Who wants to start? Well, the big news is the Missing Persons Bureau in um, in the New South Wales Police Force. I mean, I saw an article uh, in uh, the News uh, Limited Press, May 5, the New South Wales Police Missing Persons Unit will be disbanded amid fears dozens of families have been living in limbo. Um, do we know any more about this? Yeah, well, apparently uh, I actually applied for more information from the New South Wales Police Force and they have said to us that they are reviewing the operations of the missing persons unit. They haven't said, you know, haven't commented on the article itself. Um, And the process involves examining the current structure, staffing and objectives of the unit. And no determination has been made and there'll be no further comment until the plans are finalised. But that, to me, uh, when I get responses like that um, from authorities, is yes, that article is correct and they will be disbanded. Um, yeah, it seems like that there are uh, big issues. Uh, apparently, it was a failure at, at leadership level, um, and they're going to be looking at putting new um, measures or a new uh, unit in place, or or putting into state crime command is what they're looking at as one of the um, other potential things that they'll do. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's quite a damning um, indictment on on New South Wales Police and then missing persons unit. What do you make of that, Sally? Well, I was quite angry, actually, when I read that article in the Daily Telegraph because, you know, it's noted in that article um, that there's over 100 boxes of bones from deceased that are still remain unidentified um, sitting in Lidcombe Morgue. And quite frankly, I find that's disgraceful when you've got families who, if you look at the percentages of long-term missing, I think there's only around 200 that are long-term missing over 10 years. So the fact that there's over 100 bones sitting in a morgue, which no one has run DNA against, and here lies the problem where my mum's not on the missing persons list, whereby they say that they have to run the DNA against those bones, whereas I've been told recently um, by Byron Bay Police that they actually just put your DNA into a database and they run it against all Jane Doe's and all, all DNA, which I don't believe to be the case. So by her not being on the missing persons list means that they're not actively looking at my DNA to run against any Jane Doe's that they might stumble across. Well, hopefully that'll start happening now. But um, um, moving on, we've had a lot of questions in um, after episode six of the podcast. Um, Alison, what, what sorts of things are people asking? We have had such a phenomenal um, response to um, our podcast so far with uh, with some great questions from listeners. Uh, I, I think uh, what we did do is say, um, please email us on the ladyvanishes at seven.com.au. So there the questions we'll be answering as part of this. I think the first one, Mary has written to us and she's asked um, something, it's something that's been asked by a lot of other people too. Where did Sally collect the scales from? Were they in the shipping crate? Um, I thought maybe we could um, start with that one. Sure. Look, I think there's been a lot of people questioning whether or not I was able to find some of the shipping container or whether I knew the location of the shipping container. So let's just um, put it out there so everyone knows the exact story of the shipping container. When my mother decided to go overseas, she was planning on selling her house, which she did, and coming back and buying a unit in Main Beach. So she was downsizing 
her property. She gave my husband and I some antique furniture that she said that she wasn't going to have room for in the unit and said it would be mine one day anyway, so I might as well have that. Gave my brother a few pieces of furniture as well um, and popped the rest in storage. Now, there was two parts of her storage. She had her mattress and a few things like towels and things like that that she didn't put into a shipping container for a year, being that they would probably not survive um, in that. And she also had a lot of her school things. Now, one thing that I haven't really spoken about much with that is that all of the school things, the mattress and those bits and pieces, she asked my husband's grandparents if they would store it for her. They had a pool room that was quite large at the back of their house um, and they graciously said that that was not a problem. So the removalist came there, they actually dropped all of her things off that was stored at Nana and Pa's um, and then went off with the shipping container and stored it elsewhere. I stupidly, I kick myself every day for not asking her where she was putting the shipping container. I just didn't think about it at the time that it was relevant. She'd said to me, if I decide to stay overseas and get a job, I'll tell you where the shipping container is and um, you can ship it over to me if I decide to stay. Hence another reason why I question why she'd want to go missing if she openly spoke about living overseas and teaching overseas. Anyway, to get to the question about the scales, the scales was mentioned quite a few times um, and on my Facebook page a fair bit because this is a question for me as to why she was um, so worried about this $50 set of kitchen scales being returned to TSS. For someone who was planning to go missing for the rest of her life, it seemed like this was a really important part of her um, her time overseas and getting these things back to the school. So she wrote in her last letter to me um, about the kitchen scales and says, I think, quote, something along the lines of, um, please make sure that you get the kitchen scales back to the school um, as Luke Glover will be doing a stock take and I do, don't want to give him any ammunition. So there lies my question as to what was she worried about with Luke Glover and what were the scales so, you know, what was the big thing about the scales? I don't, I don't understand. So to explain, there are a set of kitchen scales, the old style where you have the weights on each side. Um, she would take them in for the boys to do maths lessons. She'd actually taken her own set of scales in and the boys had damaged them. So she went and bought a new set. And as she said in her letter, she couldn't remember if she bought them with her own money or with petty cash. So hence she wanted me to get them back to the school. They were in the belongings at Nana and Pa's house along with some little teddy bears um, and things that she wanted me to take back to the school as well, which is written in her postcards and letters. Um, what I wanted to note was that, and I haven't really even told Alison and Brian this, but something that I didn't really think about at the time, but now you kind of sit back and go, wow, that's actually interesting that there was boxes there where she literally had, like she'd draw, taken the drawer out and tipped the drawer upside down. There was absolutely no organisation. There was staples and paper clips and everything just dumped into boxes like she was in a hurry. But back then I was oh, just really? cranky at her that she'd done that because I then had to clean up her mess. Um, and, of course, it got to a point with Nana and Pa when she didn't come back for so long that they said, what are you going to do with all the things? I ended up donating most of them to um, the local kindergartens and daycare centres because at that point I didn't have any children myself. I kept anything that was valuable. Her CV was actually amongst um, those documents, so I've also obviously kept that. Um, but, yeah, so that's why, just to clarify, the, the shipping container, I've never known where that shipping container is. I have um, invested with numerous different removalist companies um, on the Gold Coast in asking them, this goes back years ago, 
uh, where Chris and I both were ringing them to see if they had any documentation of the shipping container or any notes about her. Um, unfortunately, they all proved to be negative and the problem that we really came across was that a lot of those companies had gone from being paper-based driven companies to computers, so they'd got rid of a lot of their documents that were in files. Um, one company said to us, you're really in luck because we're going through all our paperwork this weekend in boxes in storage and they came back with nothing as well, so it's really been a dead end. Jennifer um, has also said uh, sent in a question, which is, is, is an interesting one. She said that... Um, Sally, you said whilst a student at TAFE, you asked a friend who worked in customs to check return details for Marion. Um, the only name could, you could have given at that time was Marion Barter um, because we didn't know of the name change until later. Um, and she wants to know, did your friend locate her return passport under the name Marion Barter? Yeah, so she is correct, um, and I love all these little sluice that are thinking outside the box. Um, that is 100% correct. So um, when I asked him, I only knew of my mum as Marion Barter. I was not privy to the information about Flora Bella Ramakel until 2011 when Gary Sheehan told me that information, um, and then I investigated further into the name change and confirmed that late last year through state archives that she actually did change her name to Flora Bella Natalia Marion Ramakel. So that's all stated on her documents. Um, but yes, that is an interesting question because I only said Marion Barter and I did give her date of birth. Um, and being that she didn't have a middle name, I guess it makes it a little bit easier to find her um, with her date of birth. But he, ne he never mentioned to me anything about Flora Bella Ramakel. Um, and he was just a, a friend of mine that I'd met through TAFE. Um, obviously, I was trying to get in the police force myself, so I was surrounded by people who were working in customs and um, in the police force themselves. So, yeah, it was interesting, that, that question for sure. Well, what's the answer, though, Sal? I mean, um, if she had changed her name by deed poll, um, as Jennifer says, her understanding is that the, the name would have um, been automatically updated on all her official documentation and ID, her driver's licence, her passport. So uh, how would your friend have identified Marion or, was, or is it a suggestion that it, there was some lag in the change and that her name may have come up uh, under the previous name? And did, do you know the answer? Well, the interesting thing about that, when Gary Sheen showed me the documents, it's an interesting thing that I've And this is Detective... Sorry, this is Detective Gary Sheen of the um, Byron Bay Police in New South Wales who has handled your missing persons case for the last 10 years. Correct. And he showed me an A4 piece of paper which had lots of bits and pieces on it, so it had the customs card saying that she was married, living in Luxembourg, um, was coming to Australia for three days, which is even odd in itself because she was an Australian citizen, so I'm not sure why she'd need a visa for three days to come to Australia. Um, but it had on there, which I find odd, and I'd really like somebody to clarify this for me because at the top of the page it had information about her passport and it had all her previous names going right back to Wilson. So it had Marion Wilson and then it had an asterisk, dot, dot, arrow, arrow, then it would say Marion Warren, dot, dot, asterisk, blah, 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 Brown, Barter, and then this Flora Bella Ramakil name. However, when I look at my passport, I only have Sally Layden on my passport. None of my previous names are shown. So that's, that's odd for me. I don't know where that document's come from, and I guess this is another reason why I want those redacted forms unredacted so that we can get some clarity on those um, documents because it's not clear to me whatsoever. And it does puzzle me that he, I mean, Gary Sheehan has told me that her passport was came back in under Flora Bella Ramakel, yet 
everywhere I went. I had no idea about Florabella and it's only sort of enlightened me in the last couple of days. People have even said to me about going into the bank and speaking to the guy at the teller and saying, I actually said Marion Barter. I didn't say Florabella Ramakel. So did she walk into the bank as Marion Barter or did she walk in as Florabella Ramakel or was it someone completely different walking into the bank? The same as her Medicare card. Can I need to get confirmation from the redacted information from police was her Medicare card changed? Had she changed it? We have to remember too, from the date that her, her name change appeared on the 15th of May, she left the country on the 26th of June. So we are really tight within a six week time frame. And I think it takes about six weeks to get your passport. I've recently just updated all our passports and it takes at least five to six weeks to get a new passport. So I'm not sure if that was a delay and she didn't have time to change her bank details. I mean, there is those options, but it is quite an unusual situation. I mean, it goes back to I, the whole name change thing's just weird for me anyway. I just don't even, can't even fathom why she would do that and if she actually did it herself or if someone was making her do that. And in terms of Jennifer's question, I guess a lot of those answers in terms of what forms were filled out, what the documents looked like, the dates, the, the, the people notarised on it, that's all contained in the case file. But, Alison, why, why don't we have those documents? Why can't we share those documents with our, our listeners? Well, that's um, under the Freedom of Information Laws or in, in New South Wales, it's GIPA, the Government Information Privacy Act. Uh, we oh, Obviously, Sally applied for that and we got she got documents back and they were heavily redacted. Um, and we went to the IPC, which is the Information Privacy Commissioner, and they ruled that Sally should have got more information than that she got. The New South Wales Police refused and then we've, we're going to NCAT. So that's why we're at New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal. That's why we're fighting for this information, these documents to be released to Sally unredacted so that she can um, get the, get what she needs to be able to answer, you know, have answers to the questions. Because it seems at this stage that not a lot is being done on Marion's case. Um, certainly we have no indication that it's even been followed up, um, you know, except as a when there's nothing else to do. Um, so we're taking it upon ourselves to do our own investigation and we need that information to be able to do it. So that's what that's why we're fighting. That's why we have a hearing um, scheduled for the end of June. So um, we're fighting it on um, Sally's behalf and, and hopefully we'll get some clarity and some information that we'll be able to share with our listeners. Yeah, um, can I uh, raise another question? Another listener's uh, written in um, saying they recently stumbled across the podcast. It's a fascinating case. They're asking, uh, it would be interesting to know if there had been any active investigation into Marion's time in the Tunbridge Wells area. That's in uh, England. Uh, of course, Marion uh, went there and uh, that's the last time you spoke to her, you think, uh, Sally, when Marion, uh, your mother called you from England. So um, we know that she was, or we think she was in Tunbridge Wells, but um, has there been any attempt to uh, look into the hotel she was staying at, um, the people she might have met or mixed with there, phone records, anything of that nature? Look, I'm very lucky. I feel so blessed with all this that so many people are trying to help me. So I've I've got my own little um, group of people now over in Tunbridge Wells who live locally to the area who have been able to tell me that there was a Steiner school within 20 minutes of Tunbridge Wells and that the craft shop that um, Mum sent me a postcard from called Sally's Craft with the sticker on the back is now closed and it's no longer Sally's Craft. Um, she is also going into the local hotels just to get the names of what the hotel hotels were back in 1997 and see if they have any records of guests staying there. Um, 
she told me the other day that her husband's friends with a, a guy who works with the Orient Express. So she's going back to dig further. Well, he's he's actually going to ask his friend if he can go back and dig further to 1997 and see what information he can find out. Um, you know, the question still remains, did she actually have a ticket on the Orient Express? I have contacted the booking agency through Orient Express myself and they've just come back with, unfortunately, um, they only hold records for seven years, which is another problem that I'm constantly faced with, the fact that, um, you know, we did really nothing on the case with police telling me that they'd located her and she didn't want to be found in 1997 um, until I sort of ramped it back up again in 2007 for her 10th anniversary, by which point I'd lost a lot of opportunity to um, locate any of those sorts of documents. But she's an amazing person. Her name's Kristen, and um, she's constantly messaging me every day with new information that she's trying to find. Um, so, yes, the police, no, they've done nothing. Um, I've got a lot of people asking me, can I just fly to the UK and give them my DNA? Um, because I've questioned that too, why that wasn't sent over there for them to run my DNA against any Jane Doe's in Luxembourg or in the UK um, areas just just on the off chance that you know she met with foul play over there and someone's come back in on her passport and drained her account which is a, you know it's a plausible option that that did happen so uh, we can't not you know we can't just push it to the side and expect that that's not going to be investigated because clearly she was there I have postcards from there I have um, even brochures that she sent me of Tunbridge Castle um, in one of the letters that she sent me so Again, I kind of question someone who goes through the effort of sending things like that back to their daughter and telling them, you know, her telling her how much she loves me and, you know, don't worry about me, I'm fine, I'm having a great time. Like, I, I question if that's really somebody who definitely never wanted to see me ever again, and my question is firmly no. That was from Charlotte. And that was a very good question, and thank you. And there's been a lot of questions that Sally has already answered um, here that we, we don't need to, to, I guess, ask again. Ali and Kristen asked, um, has anyone searched auction house results to see if valuable artwork has been sold? You can search past auction house sales all in one for free on Barnaby's.com. Certainly um, that's an investigation route we've gone down, haven't we, Sally? Yeah, look, and unfortunately... Um I wasn't really privy to a lot of the detail of mum's artwork. Um, it wasn't something that I was terribly interested in as a young child, I guess. Um, but I do remember her talking about things and I do know that she had a Norman Lindsay. I remember when she bought the Norman Lindsay. I remember it's a lady sitting on a rock and it has lots of children surrounding, um, surrounding the woman. I guess kind of um, replicating my mum being a teacher, you know, always around children. Um, but I'd have to, and someone did suggest to me that I can go back through a, um, a log or a file of all Norman Lindsay's artworks and see if I can identify it myself from memory. But the unfortunate thing is I don't have any numbers on those artworks and I don't have the names of those artworks. Um, I mean, Ray Barter might remember he was with mum when they bought the Norman Lindsay, so that might be a question we can pose to him. Can he remember where they bought the Norman Lindsay from? It might have even been a case with Arthur Boyd as well. Um, what I can tell you is the photo that I had, which I thought was the Arthur Boyd, is actually the Jamie Boyd, and we have been in contact with Jamie. He has emailed me back and explained to me um, the artwork that I do have the photograph of, but he said it was part of a series, and I do have the details of that, but he didn't think it was anything that would be technically able to be filed, like logged or um, filed and um, be able to search for as such. Um, 
you know, and unfortunately, I don't know if, if you know much about artwork, you usually get, you know, a numbered piece of artwork. So they might have done 50 pieces of that and they've numbered it number one or number two. Um, and unfortunately, I don't have that information either. So it does make it very difficult for me to search the artwork. Um, and unfortunately, I don't have photographs of the Arthur Boyd or the Norman Lindsay print to be able to show people or um, put it out there for the universe to help me find. Brian, have you had an update from the Salvos? Uh, look, they, um, the Salvation Army Missing Persons Service, of course, uh, have been involved twice. First, uh, Sally, when your grandfather, Jack, approached them in 1998 and gave them some information. We've covered that in, uh, in the past. And then, of course, you approached them, I think, in 2003, 2004, and um, asked them to um, then the Missing Persons Bureau, the Salvation Army, to reopen the case and, and have a look for Marion. Now, that, they did some extensive work on your case, um, but... Um, since then, uh, the, the unit was disbanded, I think around 2009, 2010. Um, the Salvation Army no longer has that. And all their records, the, the, the file that they would have collected on your mother, which would be invaluable for us to check against information we now have to rule things in or out, um, were all placed in boxes and shipped down to a storage facility in Melbourne. So for the last few weeks, I've been liaising with um, the head of media for the Salvation Army, who has uh, been wonderful uh, and very helpful to, to date. And he has said that they um, we had the case file from that letter that cropped up after episode one of the, the, the uh, podcast from your, your relative in Japan. We gave him that number. He's of the opinion that it, it, it will be in a box. He's assigned the person who manages the storage facility to go in through, and this is a very long and laborious task, we're told, to go in and locate that file. They will then go through it, and I'm waiting to hear back actually any moment right now. I was um, messaging him this morning um, to hear whether they've been able to locate the file and work out if they need to redact anything for reasons of privacy um, or to protect anyone else's interests and uh, then hopefully give us a look at that file. So it, it could it could be today that we're sent something, but I'm hoping certainly by the time we speak next week, we can talk about what's in that file. Fingers crossed. Now, I, I, we're getting um, late in the episode, so I'm hoping that we can just touch on episode seven, which is coming up. Episode seven is unlike any other episode we've had so far, um, and it's quite turgid. I know, Sally, you, ha you haven't, um, and you, we will um, obviously uh, go over it with you, um, but it's all about the environment that uh, Marion was in um, just before she went missing. That's the working environment at TSS. And we've uncovered some pretty dire um, allegations and, and um, by all accounts, um, it, it, it appears that there are a lot of unhappy people, so it's not unlikely that Marion would have been would have been one of these people too did you want to discuss a little bit of that because I know you did one of the hardest interviews of all Brian oh it was awful um and that's the thing when we um we started this podcast unlike so many true crime podcasts where someone has um, been murdered or the coroner's made a finding that they are likely uh, the victim of foul play we went into this not knowing what had happened to Marion unaware that if a crime had even been committed with the intent of finding out and, and jogging loose some sort of information so that we could help Sally find some answers. And as part of that, we've come across some extraordinary, um, I guess, um, rabbit holes we've gone down, and this is the most confronting. Um, who, who, who would have ever guessed that the elite school Marion was teaching at uh, right up until the point where she vanished was um, the subject of so many awful uh, allegations 
Now, some of those are already out in the public sphere. This episode seven, we, we speak to um, people who were uh, at the school and who's, um, in one case, a man's father who taught at the school. Um, the things that um, he is now able to shed light upon, frankly, are um, appalling beyond measure and defy belief. And to imagine Marion uh, running the, the, the prep classes at that school at that time while this stuff was going on, uh, it really does uh, raise the, the question as to whether or not um, she was um, subjected to, um, became aware of, um, was somehow... Um, tangentially involved in what is an extraordinary twist in this amazing story. Uh, it, it is confronting. Um, we did, Alison and, and Sally, you know, we went back and forth about the language and the nature of the things we're going to be talking about. It's not for the faint-hearted. In the end, we've decided to, um, I guess, bleep the most offensive things, but we, we haven't, we haven't redacted the truth in, in this case. Um, and uh, I, I, I guess one of the reasons it's so important to hear about this is because we need to run down every possibility of what might have happened or might have um, had some influence over what Marion either chose to do or, or was done to her. I think also, I mean, Sally's always been interested in this, and I know you've had trouble. The, the reason why, you know, the why between be, about your mother disappearing, um, the motive uh, potentially, mm-hmm. um, and this is something that, I know you asked police to investigate, and at the time they made it clear they weren't interested in the why. And this is one of the reasons we wanted to to touch upon this. Um, This is important to you, isn't it, Sally? Well, you know what? Even just listening to the last podcast and listening to the lady who has actually done a PhD on missing persons, she even says that it's part of the, you know, finding a missing person is going and speaking to their work colleagues, speaking to people that they're around every day, and police didn't do that. Yes, they went to the school and spoke spoke to the principal who sits up in his office and has no idea what's going on down in those classrooms or around those classrooms, particularly when Luke Glover's residence was outside my mother's classroom. He actually lived on the premises in a school demountable with his wife and kids two metres from my mum's door of her classroom. So I'm pretty sure that Bruce Cook had no idea what was happening down in that area or what was going on. So, you know, I look at that and I think that the police have done my mum an injustice to the fact that they didn't go and investigate the why. Why did you quit your job in four days? Why did you sell your house in three weeks? Why did you change your name to a random name and flee the country and never see your family ever again? Who you... Had, I mean, people talk about her not having friends or being a weird lady or moving a lot. That's all rubbish. That is all circumstantial rubbish that people is making up because she was a loving mother who I had a very close relationship with. Um, she didn't move around a lot. She moved to accommodate her progress with her teaching career. She was very, wasn't that teacher that sat in the same school and did her job, which is so important for so many people, but she had this eager drive to want to do bigger and do more all the time. So we constantly were moving around to do that, but we didn't move a lot. Um, So, you know, the why is important to this. Like, I, I can't believe that the police are happy to sit back and tell me that you know sally our our job is all about the facts which are she changed her name she quit her job and went overseas and sold her house which i can give valid reasons for all of those things 
but they say to me that we're not about the why. Yeah, that's that's quite extraordinary. But I will say also that we do go into witness protection. Brian has um, done a great interview in relation to that for episode seven as well, which is um, will answer a lot of questions. But for now, um, I know that Sally wanted to touch on a couple of other things quickly, but for now um, we'll have to uh, call it call it a day um, and then obviously address some more issues in our next episode. Thank you very much, Alison and Sally. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Brian. Thanks.